And welcome to Ultimate, where we dive into Earth 1610, the Ultimate Marvel Universe. I am your host, Eddie, and I'm here with my co-host, Henry. Cool. So this is our, this is our first episode. So uh, we just give the kind of the, the brief on the podcast. Um, we're looking at the Ultimate Marvel line, and it's a piece of Marvel comic book history that has a bad rep. And Ultimate, the podcast, is here to see if that reputation is justified. So we're going to take on 15 years of comic book history, which is quite an undertaking. <laughs> um, but we're going to be delving into what makes this kind of universe and this kind of the stories that kind of contained unique from the good to the bad to the dear God why. <laughs> um, so what we kind of wanted to do um, just for kind of our intro episode and our kind of as we kind of, you know, start, we kind of want to like obviously get you get to know us a little bit, where we're from, what we're kind of about. Um, and then we'll kind of dig a little bit into, you know, discussions around the Ultimate Marvel Universe. What is it? What is and you know, some comics terminology. And from there, kind of look at like what we want to do, what we want to achieve for this podcast. And then give you a bit of a kind of an idea of where we're headed for the next couple of episodes. But first, I would like to introduce my co-host, Henry. How are you doing, man? <laughs> hey, I'm good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. So I was thinking, um, probably we'll start out. What's been your to give a bit of context, especially in a comic sense? Um, mm. What's been your journey with comics? Like, what's your what's your what's your origin story? In My this? origin story. <laughs> um, it's an interesting one, I guess. Like a lot of people, um, like our age, you kind of get introduced with movies, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of comic book movies, even in the two thousands. I think, um, I think the Dark Knight, like you know, Batman Begins, all those kind of movies, and then um, you know the OG X Men trilogy. But I think the one that that really interestingly got me into proper comic books rather mm. than just picking up the odd issue was weirdly X-Men Origins Wolverine, <laughs> which, which brings us in. I feel like that's, that's kind of similar to what we want to touch on in a yeah. podcast where it's like, it's one of those things that I think a lot of people look back at that movie and go, Jesus, that was horrible. Mm. But I remember when that came out, I didn't, I know I saw it probably three or four years after it came out. And I just remember being like, this is cool. Like this is yeah. just like a cool action movie. And it's got probably one of the best I'd actually say like probably one of the best scenes from comic book movies overall, which is that kind of intro scene where you have Wolverine and Sabretooth like running through time essentially and them being involved with all these kind of wars and conflicts over history. And I thought that was a really cool, mm. it's probably one of my favorite scenes still. I think, yeah, the opening <laughs> 20 minutes especially. I think that's a little bit like a lot of, I think like Suicide Squad's the same. Yep. The first one's like opening 20 minutes usually is good and then yep. falls, <laughs> falls apart. I'm not sure if that's the same with the ultimate line yet. I'm still at the <laughs> beginning of my journey so far. So X-Men Origins Wolverine, from X-Men Origins Wolverine, what what comics did you start with then? Um, I, think, I think I was, so I started off just, I used to pick up any comics I could read, right? Mm -hmm. So I used to a lot of singles, you know part four of some multi-part epic <laughs> and I'd pick up like a blue beetle issue, mm. you know, to do with something, some yep. kind of mini events or there's all these kind of ones like X-Men, like issue 190 something and like just, just pieces mm. that I'd used to get, um, anything I'd get my hands on as a kid. Right. And, but then I think beyond that, and I started picking up just graphic novels, you know, I, Deadpool, I think, was probably my first graphic novel, actually, interestingly. <laughs> Not my first comic. My first comic would be, like, like Batman. Yeah. Those of Batman stuff. Um, yeah, I think I think that's where it started. And then from there, I just putting my money into comics. <laughs> <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, similarly, because I think that's, yeah, like I said, we're of that kind of, we're, we're both, you know, you're coming up 25, I'm 25. So we're probably yeah. both in that kind of 
point in time where like the MCU really ramped off when we were probably beginning of high school. Yeah. So, and like there were kind of the other superhero movies around. So I feel like, like you said, a lot of people our age, that's going to be our in sort of side of things. And my, my one, I, I <laughs> my in to comics, my beginning of my origin story was um, similarly X-Men first class. Oh, and yeah, it's a good one. and the, the thing with that was um, I would kind of, I'd come up to, so based in New Zealand, so I'd come up to Wellington as part of like a school competition. And we were kind of we, on one of the nights, we were up there for about four days. Um, and on one of the nights we were in Wellington, we were like, oh, let's go to the, the it was like kind of, I was, must have been 12, 13. I wasn't 13 actually. And they were like, um, you know, the teacher was like, oh, let's go, let's go to the movies. We'll go just check out a movie. And the kind of, the big movie that had come out at the time was Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, the fourth Pirates of the Caribbean. And I had had a very traumatic experience with my friend's birthday and the beginning of the third Pirates of the Caribbean where there's like, it's just like the scene where they hang a whole bunch of pirates and and they just sing like a really depressing song. And that traumatized me. And then so I point blank had refused, I'm not gonna go watch Pirates of the Caribbean. So then, my my dad was my dad was on the trip with me and, and so him and I went to see X-Men first class. And I think after that I was just kind of hooked. Like I was like, wow, this is and it, X-Men's been my big comic yeah. book sort of thing. But I I think the first comic I actually picked up was Marvel had a book, it was like Marvel Adventures, and it was it was still like good it was kind of slightly more aimed at kids, but it was very much like kind of origin story-esque kind of type simplifications of characters but it was it was i had picked up marvel adventures and it was marvel adventures incredible hulk yeah and that was really weird because but what it did is it introduced the defenders who are these kind of big cult kind of characters so they introduced doctor strange and introduced namor and it was just really weird that that's kind of where my origin story begins but then from there i started looking up like i was living in rural new zealand so i couldn't I didn't have access to comics, but I had Wikipedia. So I just Wikipedia, I would like, I'd read up on X-Men stuff on Wikipedia. Um, and then I kind of went to boarding school and then I started like, I kind of asking my, my relatives, my aunts and uncles for comics for Christmas and my birthdays and stuff like that. And then there was a comic book store in Dunedin that closed. What was it called? Pulp, Pulp Fiction. Pulp yeah. Fiction. And that I would go in there and I'd kind of go through the, the kind of $2 bin or whatever and try and find X, anything that was related to X-Men I, I got. And like the same thing, I got a whole bunch of random issues. And I think that's that seems to be like kind of those things that comes up with when people talk about comics and like how they get into comics. I think there's this kind of, there's two, two schools of thought I think a lot of people find, which is some people it's about finding, you know, finding an easy point to jump on to like, okay, this this issue, the beginning of this story, the beginning of this writer's story arc, and jump on at this one. Or I think, and I think what we kind of had is, oh, we found the whole bunch of random issues with characters that we like or think are cool. Yeah. Um, I have no idea what the context to the rest of this is, but. I like this character. Yeah. He's cool. I think like Blue Beetle is one that I've always got like a special kind of, like love of, mm. despite the fact I don't think I've read like a full, I I don't think I've read a full graphic novel yeah. of Blue Beetle, <laughs> but I used to just love the character design of both Jaime and mm. Ted Cord. And I used to just like 
anytime I'd find like a Blue Beetle like issue, I'd like pick yeah. it up and like read it because I just wanted the Blue Beetle thing because I thought he was just really cool. But it's like, yeah, but I've, yeah. Yeah, because my, my weird one like that is Alpha Flight, which yeah, is like yeah. Alpha Flight is the Canadian superhero team. And I think it was John written by John Byrne or whatever. And I have this kind of, I've probably four or five issues of it. And it's one of those things that is, you know, from the 80s sort of sort of thing. And it's one of those comics that I'd really like to collect, like have a big, either like the full run or have it in like an omnibus, like have it in a big collection of the entire run. But it's just not because no one, no one's using Alpha Flight characters. But no. it was one of those things I still have this like deep down, still have this love for Alpha Flight. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I think it is one of those things where like, um, like we're both coming from different perspectives mm. as well, which I think works really well with. I've this is the first time I'm touching this material. Yeah, I've never read Ultimate before since what, for the past six months. Well, that's a good question. It's like, what yeah. what has been your experience with the Ultimate Marvel comics? Is this this your kind of yeah fresh in? <laughs> so uh, I've read Ultimates because um, I'm like I don't know. I love that kind of that kind of like edgy, like Mark Miller, Grant mm. Morrison stuff back in the two thousands. I think that's really interesting. Like Max, I've been, I've been getting real big into like the Max and like Vertigo stuff mm. I've always liked, like really interesting to get interesting creators to like, yeah. to take, this is a new take on this, this character. This is to do something interesting with them. Um, so I'm a big fan of a big fan of that. So that's what, what, what attracts me to that. But that was only like six months ago, yeah. like before then haven't touched it. Cause I'm not a big Marvel guy. Yeah. I'm always been kind of like more DC. Oh, apart from like X-Men, Fantastic Four, I, I like a lot and like blade, but beyond <laughs> that, yeah, not not a Marvel guy. Avengers and stuff like that, mm. never been into it. But like, yeah, so it's it's really interesting coming and kind of getting into this for the first time. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, because for, for me, it's almost the opposite where like Ultimate Marvel has been rooted at the beginning of when I got into the comics. Mm. So like, I think similar sort of thing. I went to boarding school in year nine. So when I was probably 13, 14. And for my birthday, my mate who his dad had a big comic book collection like bought me, like gave me like three random issues of X-Men. And one of them was, I can't remember, it's a Wolverine story. And then I can't remember what the other one was. And then one of them was, it was like, it wasn't the full, but it was like a, almost like a kind of magazine version of the first volume of Ultimate X-Men. So that was like, honestly, one of the first comics. I, and I still have it somewhere. So I think the Ultimate X-Marvel comics especially ultimate x-men have been kind of deeply ingrained and similarly like with i used to go to the the library in my town town near where i grew up gore and they had a volume of ultimate fantastic four and a volume of ultimate spider-man so that was like again and i just kind of read over them and didn't have an idea of what the ultimate universe ultimate marvel was but it's always been that kind of at the back of kind of the comics that I've read. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think probably actually before we get too ahead of ourselves, I think you kind of mentioned um, Vertigo and Max. And I think this is probably a good mm -hmm. thing just to like introduce some comic terminology. So Ultimate Marvel is what we call like an imprint or a line. Um, and what it is, is that I guess the analogy I'd have for it, it's the equivalent of creating like a, you know, you have Coke, it's your kind of Coke zero. It's like, it's there to, it's a kind of, it's a line of comics there to kind of meet like a different need or a different audience. Yeah, that's true. 
Um, so I think the really, the really good one, as an example, is you mentioned Vertigo. So Vertigo was created by DC Comics. When was that? Probably in the late 80s, early 90s? Uh, so they, yeah, because because that one that one's interesting because they like they had a lot of stuff that they retrospectively put into Vertigo. Mm. So there was a lot of stuff, but that is true because there's like Sandman, um, which was 80s, late 80s. Yeah, so probably 80s. I mean, what, what's it called? Like Watchmen's technically been Vertigo yeah. for decades, and that was like 86. Yeah, so Vertigo was a way for DC to have writers who wanted to do more esoteric or kind of darker kind of story not just not just that but i think not a lot of yeah. i think a lot of kind of writers you or like boundary pushing like you think something like sandman was like a really like neil gaiman sandman is like a really mm. weird kind of comic that but hellblazer yeah hellblazer is all john constantine but then so what it is is that when we think about we think about comics like one of the big things with comics we think about is continuity so like you know, the, the stories that have been built upon stories over generations, because they have been generations as well. But um, but Vertigo was, as a line, kind of sits outside of DC continuity. So, you know, DC starts with action, let's say action, action comics in 1939. And, you know, then there's this idea that all, all the stories that have kind of flown on from there are kind of part of one one universe. They're one kind of timeline, as more you think. More or less. Yeah. More or less. There is this is this is the fun of comics is that it's it's not that simple. It's never going to be that simple. But Vertigo, as an imprint, as a line, sits kind of outside of that timeline. So, in certain books, you would get you would get crossovers. Like I know in the Sandman, you'll have sequences where they'll show Batman, or you'll have places like Gotham or Metropolis. But they kind of sit on their own. They're not necessarily collect connected. Um, so Ultimate Marvel is kind of like a big ongoing project. So it started in 2000. And it was essentially an idea that they created. They created like another alternate, an alternate universe. And the stories that were told in that universe were completely separate from what was happening in the main Marvel line. So what had happened is that so part of the background of the Ultimate Universe was that there had been about 40 years of continuity, there had been 40 years of stories that were all kind of happening within the same timeline. And from a marketing perspective, people kind of thought this is actually really difficult for new readers. We don't know, like someone, someone can't just pick up, can't just pick up an X-Men comic or an issue of Spider-Man and it's got even if it wasn't 40 years of continuity, even if it had five years of continuity or five years of stories that were kind of related to it, that's actually quite difficult for someone to to theoretically pick up and just understand what's happening. So the idea for the Ultimate Marvel was that we, we, we reboot. We kind of have a, this, set this universe and it's supposed to be this kind of jumping on point so that new readers have this ability to kind of jump on and kind of know understand the story from the beginning <laughs> and it kind of comes off the wake of like some really interesting things that led to that kind of were happening at marvel comics at the time and the 1990s were a really really big challenging decade for marvel yeah and there's a lot of things that happened in the in the 90s 
that have gone on to impact stuff like the MCU today, like how big the MCU today is, are directly linked to changes that happened in the 90s. But so there's kind of the big, the big kind of three, or no, so the big, the big things that kind of happened was um, in the early 90s, um, we had, they called it the Great Exodus, where you had writers and artists on comics. And in the 90s, there was a significant shift to focus on artists. So you had these artists like Rob Liefeld, um, Jim Lee, who were like these kind of renowned, almost like superstar artists. But then in the early 90s, they decided that they weren't necessarily getting a good deal at Marvel and yeah. all left and went to found Image Comics, which became another comic company, almost as a competitor to Marvel and DC. I don't think it's necessarily that anymore, but that was kind of how it almost started out. And it had the kind of name brand power behind of these superstar artists. So what happened was, is that a lot of really big, talented people left Marvel just en masse. And then as a result, things like the, the Marvel's big selling books. So the big selling books for Marvel in the 90s were X-Men, Spider-Man, and Hulk. Hmm. And then, so especially X-Men and Spider-Man, the quality of those books dropped quite significantly or got roped into really weird stories that kind of didn't go anywhere or were really frustrating. And while this is happening, like you said, Vertigo and DC yeah. are doing fantastically. Like Preacher, uh, so much stuff like in the 90s as well. You got the Hellblazer and all that that's still going on and mm. doing very well, even beyond like main continuity stuff is probably like, I don't know, up and down. I'm not, I'm not too like, I don't know. I don't think I've read a hell of a mm. lot of 90s <laughs> like Batman stuff or I mean it's primarily Batman stuff but like Vertigo was definitely yeah doing well, eh. Yeah, Vertigo. And uh, but even then like, I think the fact that Vertigo is doing well just kind of carry carries you. Oh, 100%. 100%. So what this going to end up leading to was this led to Marvel in the late 90s going bankrupt. <laughs> yeah. And there were fears that Marvel would close. Like so when Brian Michael Bendis comes to write Ultimate Spider-Man, there were fears that this would be one of the last comics that Marvel would ever release. Like it was that close to, to the brink. Mm. And part of how they solved this was that they sold off a lot of the right film rights to a lot of their properties. So when we talk about the MCU today, the Avengers had, for Marvel, had never ever been Marvel's top selling book. They weren't popular at all. But what happened is, is that to save themselves from disappearing, they sold off the film rights to things like Spider-Man, to things like the X-Men, the Hulk, and then weirdly things like Ghost Rider, <laughs> like Ghost Rider and Blade yeah. are characters that got, and rights that got sold to other studios. That's why suddenly you get Blade and the Ghost Rider movies. You suddenly get the X-Men and the Spider-Man movies. But what happened is, is that Marvel, when it comes to the MCU, didn't have the rights to their most popular properties. They don't have the most the rights to their most popular characters. So they had to do things with the Avengers. And now, it almost the flip has happened when now the Avengers are probably a much more recognizable name brand than 
than Ghost Rider. Oh, yeah, 100% more than Ghost Rider, yeah. <laughs> but yes, and then kind of from that, that's sorry, it's just such a really buzzy thing to me that like the Ghost Rider was seen as lucrative enough mm. to that the rights could be sold off. Yeah. But Iron Man and Captain America, that is something that's really weird, like from... I just don't think like Captain America and... <laughs> I, I I still struggle with Captain America personally mm. as a character, but I think that you could see why studios would probably think that it's not going to have as much worldwide international mm. kind of attract you know attractive uh, like on the box office. I mean they've done stuff since I think that Ultimates Ultimates is actually I think it's the best interpretation I've seen of 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 Captain America, which is the most interesting. But uh, I think that you could see why studios would be like. But if he on limited, it. What, yeah. And I guess the thing is with the Hulk, the reason why I think probably the Hulk rights sold quite well oh, was was because of what's it called the the Hulk TV show yeah, Hulk with TV um show, yeah. who was it with Lou Ferrigno? This also was always popular though. Yeah, it's always been popular. I mean, like yeah, the Hulk has always been one of those like big recognizable jolly green giants, right? <laughs> um. So then, kind of in the kind of late nineties, Marvel's essentially trying to throw things at the wall to see what sticks and see what saves them from bankruptcy and then there's one figure called Bill Jemis and his kind of I think he must like he must have been an, I think I read he was like a lawyer who'd been involved in like trading card companies or baseball card companies that sort of thing but he kind of proposed that Marvel's big problem was that it was becoming uninteresting to its key demographics because and this comes back to this idea of continuity right Mm. is the idea that when the X-Men are introduced in 1963, the like the, the key X-Men are all teenagers. By the time, and then over the course of their comic, they get older, they go through uni, they go through marriage, kids, all that sort of side of thing. And then then they kind of they kind of plateau where they kind of roughly stay about the same age for 20 years. But what the idea was is that these characters that have been introduced at various stages in their life were not particularly appealing to younger readers. And I think there is there is some interesting things that could be said about that approach. But the idea was is that if Marvel could introduce like a separate kind of line, a separate imprint that rebooted characters back to that kind of original, like, this is the first Spider-Man issue, this is the first X-Men issue, this is the first Fantastic Four issue. It had that ability to kind of recapture, especially younger readers, but recapture and kind of try and recreate that kind of mystic, mystical magic of being at the beginning of comics. Mm. But I think, and then that this, this would run alongside the kind of main Marvel line. So you still had, if you, if, you, if you had been a collector of comics since the 70s or even the 60s, those stories weren't going away. Those stories would still continue. But if you were a newer reader, there was, this something, there was something here for you that would be an easy jumping on point. Yeah. But I, how, do you, how do you kind of think about that kind of jumping on point mentality? I think, I think it can work really well if it's, if it's um, kind of managed and organized well, so I'll give you an example. Um, I think that the, I think that the uh, rebirth I think works kind of well, and same with New Fifty Two for a bit. 
So this is this is DC. So. Yeah, this is DC. I think that when they success, I think even uh, the new was it New Dawn? What's the new one? Dawn of DC. Yeah, Dawn yeah. of DC. I think there's there's stuff in there that that can work well because you basically what you do is you you kind of time it to when a run's ending, like a bunch of runs are ending, and then you have a new jumping on point. So mm. I think that works well. I think that it's it's a poison chalice though because it's one of those things where you can force a premature end or you can create um, problems where essentially there's a reboot in the middle of a run. For mm. example, you know, DC doing New 52, right? It works with a lot of a lot of lines. It worked where, for example, like Batman was all over the place a little bit and then they did the Snyder kind of, the Snyder run and uh, what was the other one? Um, same with Wonder Woman. Works mm. really well when you do that. I think... The problem is that when you have, at the same time, you have those those reboots and those kind of jumping on points, mm. the issue is that, you know, in the middle of a run like um, Jeff Johns's uh, Green Lantern or yeah. or Grant Morrison's, um, like, uh, Batman Inc., like, yeah. it just is just strange because mm. you get confused. What's, what's, in, what's in canon? What isn't? I'm still confused if the <laughs> Superman at the moment is still the Superman that was New 52 Superman or if he died or not. Yeah, because yeah. I feel like... I different feel, line makes sense yeah i feel like because that's that's where the thing is the new 52 is almost that the comparable thing to the ultimate universe the ultimate marvel universe from and from as its dc counterpart because even though they kind of happened probably 10 15 years apart the kind of vague idea and a lot of the criticisms that get levied at them in terms of the comics being a bit edgy and having and being a bit dark and being a bit grittier which I don't necessarily know is entirely correct, but a lot of the same criticisms come up. But I do think there is an effective way to, and I, I guess it's the idea of looking at the new 52. Again, that's something that ha came out as I was getting into comics. So there's, I have a lot of love for a lot of, like the, you know, like you said, the Wonder Woman run that came out with yeah, the new good, 52 yeah. or the Aquaman run. But I think it's the, like you said, it's the idea of, I guess how how do we explain the continuity with with kind of that is the idea that because you have this kind of 60 40 60 years of stories yeah is it that there's this idea that because you have that sort of thing you are going to have characters that take over from other characters or you're going to have like ways certain characters are kind of conceptualized or often depicted that reboot like so like a reset point that's designed to catch new readers is it almost like i said is the poison chalice partly that you kind of upset older readers or people who care very deeply about that history for theoretical new readers i think that it's it's more complicated than that i think it's also that um you a lot of a lot of character development you, you get rid of a lot of character development. I think that something that's unique with comics is people building, like good writers build off other writers' ideas, mm. right? You do a new status quo for someone to play in, right? New um, kind of sandbox, right? Yeah. You have a new thing and people play that and then they mold it to their own thing and they leave it to someone else, like a big baton kind of race. And I think that it, writers do want to do that a lot of the mm. time. There's stuff that they don't like and they often ignore or they try and write out, which I think is kind of, problematic but it's one of these things where which can work and cannot work but it, i think that um i get loads of examples i think green arrow is a perfect example 
like Green Arrow was one who was a generic Batman clone. At, at the beginning, he had an arrow car. He had a Robin. You know, he had an arrow cave. You know, he's literally, <laughs> he literally was he, an arrow mobile. He had everything. He was literally was a Batman knockoff, which a million like Robin Robin Hood, but Batman. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but he had like a, a gazillion different um, like stuff, which is you know at that time there were so many Batman ripoffs. But throughout time, with new writers that developed into the kind of socialist. Um, like going back into that kind of green area, they get um it was O'Neill, right, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um gave gave him the kind of um I'm, I might be completely wrong. Was it O'Neill or was it is it Neil Adams? Oh, I can't it might be Neil Adams. I'm not yeah. I, get, I can't remember. But it ends up being quite a like a going to the Robin Hood route, stealing yeah. from the rich and gives to the poor. He was a full on socialist, gave him the the a great run, gave him the um Oh a, a run the, for context is probably is Yeah, true. A run is essentially when a writer will take over a kind of uh, take over a comic, and so you'd say, and it's the issues of the story that they end up telling. Mm-hmm. So you'd say, so when we talk about runs, um, so the Chris Claremont run of X Men, Chris Claremont wrote the X Men for seventeen years. So that's like kind of a, and that's quite quite a um, quite an achievement. But that's that's when we talk about runs. Is that different writers we when you get different writers taking on a book or taking on a character they we call that would be how you define it they'd be like their run would be from when they start to when they finish yeah 100 percent. and and that's that's why i think that it's really interesting that you have new interesting versions and then when they reset it they reset it they got rid of all the characters development in new 52 mm-hmm. and it was terrible that it was a generic kind of batman type clone he had gadgets and he was rich and he had all the interesting stuff that they built on mm. um disappeared and it's one of those things where green arrow was in an interesting place i think since uh kevin smith brought green arrow back um mm. in the which was a fantastic run since then basically yep. setting up for other people since then it was really good and then they reset it and it disappeared i think also another example is batgirl right mm. they brought back i actually think it was a complete mistake to get rid of um uh, barbara gordon from being oracle because yep. i think it was an excellent able you know a disabled superhero mm. i think that was so cool oracle was such a cool character and then to uh, make her able and you know it's, it's just almost it's almost a, like aggressive. a it, yeah it's the kind of l and they got better sort, oh, of, sort of it's, it's but, so dumb so because because what was the track so it was like so you had oracle started out as kind of batgirl you move from oh no sorry barbara gordon starts out as batgirl and then is disabled and then becomes the oracle yeah. And then who becomes then Batgirl becomes Stephanie Brown? Is it next? It, no, it's Cassandra Kane. Cassandra Kane. Cassandra Kane, she's great. Um, yeah, Cassandra Kane, No Man's Land, and everything. And then Stephanie Brown is such mm. was such a good run just before they cut it off, which I think it's one of those things where if you read a lot of stuff from that area, you see why people got really upset. Yeah, where like <laughs> Stephanie Brown, like we were, um, before the podcast, we were actually talking about interesting things for CW shows actually, mm. and I think that Stephanie Brown, that one was her at uni. And it was her balancing going to uni and then like kind of solving crimes at campus being Batgirl. Yeah. Like fun little Veronica Mars type like idea. And I'm like, that would be a great as a CW <laughs> show. Like low, low, um, budget. low budget, low budget, that easy. Yeah. Fun teen drama. But I think it's one of those things where like the problem with rebooting a whole line and not having a separate line like Ultimate is that you completely get rid of um, 
all that development, all that interesting stuff. But like Ultimate's one of those ones where I'm a big fan of doing also doing the reboots. I think it's a good idea, mm. fresh takes and not having the baggage of continuity as well. Because as much as it can be, you know, it can be kind of creatively interesting to build on something sometimes it's more sometimes it can so be it is interesting it, yeah. to kind of just take a sledgehammer to something yeah. and then just kind of go cool i'm going to bulldoze this and then build back up from that yeah because so yeah so to kind of go back to like the history and how we ended up with the ultimate marvel line the line begins with ultimate spider-man and so we had brian michael bendis as the mm. kind of as the writer and mark bagley as the artist like and so what we're saying before is that when brian michael bendis kind of comes on board with ultimate spider-man what he pitches to marvel is he pitches taking like the core elements of spider-man and like his origin story so peter parker's origin as peter parker as a character and revamping them to fit the 2000s yeah so you revamp them so you know, if you read, if you read, if you go back and you can find that online pretty easy. If you read the original Spider-Man issue, I think it's like Amazing Fantasy, can't remember what number it is, but amazing. But you read that first Spider-Man issue and obviously it's, it's you know, in the 60s, 1960s, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby style. But then it's the idea of what Brian Michael Bendis' approach was and obviously is, re is located to the 1960s. But then... With this, then what you do is you modernize that kind of story and you go, okay, cool. What happens if Peter Parker gets bitten by the spider in the year 2000? And how does things change based on that kind of story? So one of the big changes that someone says is that in the original story, it's a radioactive spider that bites Peter Parker that gives him his powers. In the Ultimate Marvel line, okay, like, you know, nuclear war and the cold war and that kind of threat of radiation and nuclear you know there's a there's a period in the 60s where a lot of characters have nuclear based you know uh, their their powers come from nuclear sources you think the hulk is created by a gamma bomb spider-man's bitten by a radioactive spider the x-men the idea was that you know radiation like the, the atomic age had and radiation almost like had led to these people and these teenage these children being born and born different genetically and developing powers. Mm. But with Ultimate Marvel, the idea was, okay, Peter Parker gets bitten. What's, what's relevant to this kind of time period? Oh, it's looking at genetic modification and genetic engineering. Like you think when, you know, the first human clone, or not human clone, the first cloned animal, so Dolly the sheep, had been cloned maybe three, four years previously. So there's the idea of genetic modification suddenly becomes the kind of cultural kind of idea that the big scary thing that everyone's kind of like the big kind of scary sci-fi thing. Yeah, Gattaca, so, et cetera, yeah. So Peter Parker's bitten by a genetically engineered spider. And, you know, and that's kind of what the ultimate line as a whole kind of seek, sought out, started out to do was to, was to essentially modernize Marvel's superheroes. And the first issue of Ultimate Spider-Man comes out and the, the first couple of st the first story arc of it comes out, and it does really well, really well received, and they decide to expand the line of Ultimate Marvel further, and then so you get the next kind of big artist and writer kind of writer to come on the scene is Mark Miller. So Mark Miller, if you've seen was it Kick Ass or you've seen Kingsman, mm. so Mark Miller wrote the comics that those are based off of. Um, 
So then Mark Miller kind of comes on the scene and while Brian Michael Bendis, when he wants his, his kind of idea of what he wants to do is he wants to modernize superheroes, but almost as they are. So, you know, take the Spider-Man origin story and just kind of revamp it to fit 2000. Whereas Mark, Mark Miller comes on to the ultimate line and what his kind of idea is, is that he wants to use use superheroes to deconstruct political issues at the time. So Mark Miller, the ultimate line expands from Ultimate Spider-Man to include an Ultimate X-Men book written by Mark Miller, uh, Ultimate Fantastic Four, which is written by both Bendis and Miller, and then it, the next big one is Ultimates, which is written by Miller. Um, so Ultimates is his Avengers, so instead of... So yeah, so the Ultimates is his Avengers, and I think... We'll, we'll get onto this in incoming episodes, and I think what, what we're going to do in terms of our structure for the next few episodes is we're going to examine those first, those first, the first story arcs, the first six or seven issues of each of those comics as they come out, and kind of in, and kind of do an examination, see how we, see how we like, see how that kind of modernization versus deconstruction idea kind of gets played around with, because I think. I think because I've in kind of conversations before, you've been more interested in the the ultimates, the kind of deconstruction yeah. of kind of global politics, geopolitics, and that side of thing mm. that I think comes with Miller. Actually, actually, it's a probably good thing. Like, how to give a bit more context? Like, what would you recommend from Mark Miller in terms of some of his like kind of talked about Kickass and um, mm. Kickass and what was the other one I said? Kingsman. Kingsman. Which again, you can kind of see that deconstruct kind of style in that where Kickass is kind of starts that kind of deconstruction of okay, here's how superheroes would work and vigilantes yeah. would work, and Kingsman again is that kind of piss take. You know, it comes as a piss take, but also kind of looks at that kind of James Bond super spy kind of side of things, and you know, takes the piss out of it a lot, jokes about it, but also kind of deconstructs a lot of those tropes. Yeah, I think um, like Red Sun's an obvious one, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, Red, Red, <laughs> Superman, Superman Red Sun. Sun. Yeah, that's an obvious one. That's uh, one that that's really smart because it's not just going, you know, not like the the terrible animated film that they tried to they they adapted where it just goes like. So Superman, Superman yeah. Red Sun is the idea is that when Superman crashes on Earth, he is he crashes in the Soviet Union as opposed yeah. to Kansas. So obviously it comes a sort of thing of how does he work alongside, you know, the, the ideals and values and kind of, you know, ethos of Soviet Russia. Yeah. And then obviously it's quite an interesting one because you think about how the Cold War kind of progresses. Like it, it's that kind of what does it mean that the Russians have the superhuman who kind of epitomizes their values in the same way that Superman normally kind of epitomizes this kind of, you know, an American ideal. Yeah, I think that it's also, as opposed to the animated film, which was terrible, um, <laughs> it doesn't just treat it as like, you know, Russia bad. Mm. It's more like what if it was just like, I think Ultimates does that really well too, where it's more like what if uh, Superman was part of Soviet Russia? What if, it, you know, how would... The rest of the world interact so for example mm. they show the amazons interacting 
but like they they have contact with the Soviet Union for the first time instead of the um, the Americans, and it's I found that fascinating because mm. it's uh, they basically are very like impressed with the way that they have women in the workplace, etc. Yeah. You know, they have like the, 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 there are elements of the society that were progressive obviously they also comment on society that wasn't mm. but it's more balanced and i feel that that gets brought into ultimate as well that yeah. kind of mentality of what would it be like within that culture what's <laughs> and all you know yeah and i think I, I i think those kind of examinations are really interesting and i think what and part of what we wanted to do with the podcast with the kind of show is part of the problem we find is that Ultimates gets a really bad reputation for being quite edgy and kind of like overly dark and gritty. Mm. And some of this is some of this is specific to certain periods because the Ultimate Universe ran from 2000 to 2015. Um, some of some of that criticism, I think, is very very valid. In terms of it, but when it refers to certain stories or certain books, however, some of that kind of feels like a perception of comics and of writing, especially Mark Miller. Mark Miller, it's like a, it's how people in retrospect look at Mark Miller's body yeah. of work as opposed yeah. to, and, you know, I think part of the thing was with with the Ultimate Universe is it is on, some of some of it is on the cutting edge of, um of of comics because i think the, the big one was the the big the probably the biggest one and the biggest product of the ultimate universe is miles morales so um the afro latino spider-man that's true yeah which is again part of this kind of weird thing with this is this perception of the ultimate universe as being this kind of overly dark kind of not very good period of comics but also the two big things are a lot of the mcu especially costume-wise and aesthetically, draws quite heavily from the Ultimate Universe. So we th when we think about Nick Fury as Samuel L. Jackson, <laughs> yeah. that, like, previously, in, in, you know, mainline comics, Nick Fury was this kind of, like, gruff, white, World War II kind of veteran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in Ultimates, you know, just, you know, Mark Miller has specifically said that he modelled nick fury off of samuel L. jackson which is one of those weird little self self-looping kind of prophecies um but the kind of influence of the ultimate marvel kind of line on the mcu is is quite present and i think we as we kind of go through i think it'd be quite cool to unpack unpack that and see where those influences kind of lie but the other big one is that then you have characters like and i think it goes back to the idea of modernizing comics and modernizing characters miles morales the idea was that Brian Michael Bendis looked at and there were conversations around, you know, if, you know, Spider-Man's from, like Peter Parker's from Queens and someone's talking about, okay, if you've got a, a kid who's 13, 14 year old, 14 years old in Queens in 2012, their likelihood is that they're going to be of, Afro, of black or Latin American descent. Yeah. And part of that then becomes like, so Miles Morales is created as a character and you know, is now this massive cultural, cultural kind of character. Like we've, like you yeah. think we've just got the across the Spider Verse movie, which he's one of the, he is the kind of main character. I also think it's the at currently the the 
most successful film at the box office this year so far, I think. Until until, until Barbie comes out. Yeah, and, <laughs> until Barbie, until Barbie nukes the box I, office. Yeah. I'm looking for It's one of those ones I, the amount, it's on a tangent, the amount of kind of Barbie Oppenheimer memes, I just... I just love it because it's I, so funny. I'm essentially because we're going to Oppenheimer for your birthday. Yeah, yeah. And then it's on a Friday, and on the Monday, I'm gonna go see Barbie with my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. And that's I'm looking forward to kind of like that kind of flip. I, I kind of feel like I wonder if I'm gonna need the weekend to kind of go from like Oppenheimer serious to okay now I can see Barbie on Monday. I, see, I'm watching Barbie first. I'm watching it on the <laughs> Wednesday for my birthday. But it's more Emma's present, I think, in a way. <laughs> but I think what's interesting is it's related to this. Mm. What you know, we're talking about modernizing things, and and um, in cinema, how a, a lot of franchises, like a lot of franchises, let's be honest, mainly aimed at the biggest blockbuster mm. and things that that studios want to do are mainly aimed at like teenage boys. Mm. You know, Ghost Rider. Why was that sold off? Because teenage boys, including so same with me, <laughs> thought is a guy that rides a motorbike really fast and then is like heads on into, skull. Yeah, becomes a <laughs> bursting flame <laughs> with a skull. You know, like that's cool. As a kid, that's or like, cool. Or it's weird things like on the Ghost Rider tangent. Like, yeah. I watched Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance before I watched the first one. A Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance is just it's cheesy but it's so yeah. good and it's the first thing i saw idris elba in oh I he's he in it in and that. he he does he's this kind of like french because ghost ride the idea is that he's like a circus kind of stuntman who sells his soul to the devil yeah and then the devil kind of asks him to like hunt down hunt down souls and what he does and then to kind of try and weasel out of the bargain he's like i'm only gonna hunt the souls of those who truly deserve it sort of side of thing but it, so obviously that's kind of this kind of weird kind of religious kind of thing. So Idris Elba is part of this kind of order of like warrior monks <laughs> that little warrior priests. And he's just, a, and he's, he does his French accent and it's just fantastic. Yeah. I think that, that I think that that's, that's mm. hilarious, but, but I think it, it's, but again, to the point that like, that's the thing, like Ghost Rider was largely marketed at teenage boys. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's great to have a, and also like the thing is, it's not just teenage boys. Mm. They usually, they are, Primarily, they were made for teenage boys, and I'm thinking X Men and stuff as mm. well. A lot of that line, but then trying to make it like a really broad appeal because yeah. lots of lots of women, lots of people like really love the MCU mm. and love the you know X Men films. And I think that it's great that like now they're doing that with some fee for franchises for that were marketed originally for like young women yeah. and young girls and you know tweens and etc. Is now. <laughs> they're making them kind of broad appeal because now everyone wants to watch Barbie, right? It's and like, it, it's crazy. And I think there's an interesting thing in terms of... It's it's Dark Knight. It's weird, it's weird like, hearing things, like, I watched an interview yeah. with Margot Robbie and it was essentially going around, like, showing off the Barbie dream house and they had this whole thing, it was like, how she'll never walk downstairs because that's the thing, if, if kids are playing with Barbie dolls, you never walk them down the stairs of the house. You yeah. just kind of, like, take them and, like, put them on the ground. And it's that weird thing where, again... It feels almost quite comic-y because it's that sort of thing of like, it just goes back to this kind of this kind of experience, this nostalgic kind of experience, mm. which I thought I think is, is going to be, I'm, I think I'm just going to be, it's just going to be a movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be something to work. I think it's actually like the parallel I'd say, because I was also talking about like, you know, why is Transformers still around? 
it's for it's for it's for teenage boys. Like who's watching that? I was thinking, Jesus, who's watching uh, Transformers, Transformers like still? And then I'm like, oh yeah, teenage boys. But but I think like Barbie is like the is like Batman Begins. And bear with me, not that it's edgy and it's mm. like whatever. It's that they've gotten a really exciting indie director yeah. who Christopher Nolan was at the time because the only film that he had made was like mainstream film was um, I think Memento was before that. Yeah, and. I think that's it. I think it was Memento <laughs> and like all that. And um, maybe Memento, maybe uh, the remake uh, with Al Pacino. Can't remember what it was called, but the one in Alaska. Mm. It's a good one. And Robin Williams, maybe that one as well. But it was like indie director, really interesting. Here's like this old property that we that we really want to revitalize. Yeah. And they're doing the same Greta Gerwig, indie director, that's really interesting, <laughs> taking on, and instead of, you know, Christian Bale, who's, a, you know, A-list actor, you get like Margot Robbie and you get like Ryan, Ryan Gosling. Yeah. It's like, it is that kind of, it's Batman Begins, like for <laughs> young women. It's great. I love it. It's, you know, more of that, please. What's next? What would be next? Yeah, oh, it, it, it just, and just aesthetically, it just looks like, do you remember... This is a very deep cut reference to like Denise. Do you remember walking past what is it, Peter Alexander in the mall? It's in like the mall. you were in the Meridian, like it was this kind of like, you know, it was the kind of big, like, you know, it was selling pajamas and scented candles oh, and yep, stuff. Yep. And it was just, it was like you said, yep. it's that Barbie pink. And you just walk past it and you just smell like 50 different scented candle smells. <laughs> and that's watching like the aesthetics of like all the Barbie trailer. Just it just gives me that kind of flashback. Oh, 100%. I think. <laughs> I, it's it's great um but yeah i think i think that it, it is I'm, I'm looking forward to it yeah but <laughs> that was such that was a great tangent that was one of those ones i'm just like wow like <laughs> went from like miles morales to oppenheimer to barbie <laughs> yeah exactly um but yeah so i think the other thing with regard to what we kind of wanted to do with the ultimate marvel kind of like line is part of it is and it comes down to the same problem that any comic has. And I think we think about the MCU now, like where MCU is what, 10, 15 years in? So, 2008, yeah. Yeah. So 15, it's, yeah. 15 years in. So it's that sort of thing of, while Ultimate Marvel started out as this kind of big refresh point, like we're going to take everything back to square one and build these characters up, it went for 15 years. So Brian Michael Bendis wrote a hundred. I think 180 issues of Ultimate Spider-Man and Mark Bagley did the art for I think 113 issues which wow. I think I think is close to one of the longest runs like that a writer has written like a do a writer and artist have worked together like they beat like Jack Jack Kirby and Stan Lee I think were you know they, they've beaten Jack Kirby and Stan Lee in terms of the, how many issues they produce as a team. Yeah. Um, the problem is, is that when, and I think this is going to become, it'd be interesting to see how this goes across the five or the four kind of main books that we're looking at for the podcast. But what it is, is that they start out really strong. And then as they go on, things like writers change, their editorial decisions. So editors, so in Marvel's editorial says, oh no, we don't want to or do this or change this or take the story down this direction. And what happens is that something that ends up having, started out trying to create its own continuity and kind of create something that's quite easy to jump on with becomes just as complex as the main Marvel universe. Yeah. 
which I think is going to be a really interesting sort of thing because it's suddenly it's not an easy starting point anymore. And then, you know, over that 15 years, and then there's definite patches where you see, okay, that I think a lot of people point to and go, this is when it started going downhill. This is when it starts going downhill. And I think so what I kind of, from what I understand, and, it'd be, and again, I think it'd be interesting to see what the gems and what the good things in those weak patches are. But I think the kind of idea is that from probably 2000 through to maybe 2005, the line is really, really good. Mm. And then kind of 2008, there are some specific decisions made by Marvel's editors. And I think Jeff Loeb came on as a writer. And there are specific decisions that are horrendous. <laughs> that just like, just that just tank the whole thing. I'm excited. And then Brian Michael Bendis essentially kind of drags it back out, <laughs> drags it back from the depths by introducing Miles Morales. Hickman, and, I guess, too. And Jonathan Hickman as well yep. comes on. You have this kind of new range, almost in the second half of its kind of run. of the, And then, then it kind of ends. And the other reason we kind of wanted to come up, and then it ends, and that kind of leads to the final kind of reason we're kind of keen to kind of go through the ultimate Marvel kind of history, is that it's... It's come. It's just been kind of revitalized by Jonathan Hickman, who's a fantastic. Right, he's Jonathan Hickman is largely responsible for um, the most. For he's had two really great runs. Um, one on Avengers, where essentially he made Avengers a really really interesting book to read. <laughs> oh wow, that's interesting. Yeah, and <laughs> and then on x-men where he has essentially soft re like kind of you know re revitalized the x-men line into something building on new. things from before yeah as and like well, i said yeah. building on the building on that continuity but jonathan hickman has just released the first issue came out last week it's called ultimate invasion and i think what it kind of showcases is that while there's this really negative perception of the ultimate marvel line it's some there's something about it that is still really appealing to people and I think what the idea behind this kind of new ultimate Marvel book that's just come out is, is it's again trying to go back to that core concept of let's take these characters and revamp them for the 2020s, which I think could be, I think is going to be really interesting in terms of do they going to go down the let's modernize these characters, which, or do we use these to deconstruct current political trends? And political and social kind of trends, which would not be an easy task, but I think it would be with the right writers, would be a really, really interesting thing to do. And I think we'd like to we kind of want to track that kind of modernize versus deconstruct kind of idea through the the 15 year history of Ultimate Marvel up to now. So I think how we're gonna probably start it out is we're starting with we're starting at the beginning we're starting with ultimate spider-man number one to number seven that'll be in our next episode and we're re really excited i've kind of done all my notes for that <laughs> um then we'll move to the next book that came out on the ultimate line. we'll move to ultimate x-men one to six and then then we've got a tricky one because we could either go mm. by continuity we could either go essentially by chronology, right, when the books came out, which I think Ultimates came out before Ultimate Fantastic Four. But I, I think we'll take Ultimate Fantastic Four, agree, yeah. Ultimate Fantastic Four before Ultimates. 
because I think Ultimates, Ultimates to me feels like it's going to be the one that kind of, kind of really ties together that kind of modernized deconstruct yeah. kind of idea. Because I think, because I think what we see is we get one book by Bendis in Ultimate Spider-Man, we get one book by Mark Miller in Ultimate X-Men, then Ultimate Fantastic Four is both of them, and then Ultimates becomes the book where we can actually look at and go how does this kind of tie all together? Like what, and again, it gives us that kind of point where we can go, this is what we don't like, this is what we do like about, yeah. about this. <laughs> and, and the two different, we can also directly compare the two different approaches of, uh, of Miller and uh, Bendis, Bendis that I think that would be really interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, really, really interesting, very contrasting, yeah. And, yeah. and I think part of what we'll kind of do, like our form, formula will kind of be along the lines of what we'll probably do is we, the format I'm thinking, and you know, this is the first couple of episodes, so kind of bear with us as we kind of <laughs> work this all out as we go. Mm. But what I'm thinking is, um, you know, going through like our initial initial thoughts on the comics we're looking at, then we shift to, you know, summarizing these comics. And I feel like that's, that's one thing I'm gonna try work out how we'd make that entertaining and fun, <laughs> because obviously, It'll be a lot of me talking, but then then I think what we move into is then we move into our kind of kind of more in-depth kind of analysis to the side of things where we look at, you know, how especially in this first run, this first kind of block of episodes, how we what we think about each of these kind of comics and like how they've adapted or how they've modernized this kind of these kind of, you know, 40-year-old stories. And then how different characters, how we think different characters have been adapted. And there's going to be some really interesting ones. And there's going to be some very, very different ones. Because I think that is the kind of magic of an alternate universe. Is you have the ability to make take characters in very different directions. And I think there's going to be some really interesting and kind of... Some of it's going to be pretty... Some There's definitely some things that I look at and go, it's probably going to be a bit nasty, a bit iffy in retrospect i already i already know about the um the, the weird quicksilver scarlet witch thing. yeah we, that that will we will get to eventually that's better in ul context ultimate ultimates three we'll get in context yeah. uh yeah ultimates three is going to be a very rough book to review yeah but it should be fun for the listeners if it's not fun for us right yeah yeah, so I think that's the kind of format we'll look at and we're going to be testing different things out to see just what fits and what's going to be the most most fun to kind of listen to and kind of run with. Um, so I think that kind of brings us to kind of probably the kind of close of kind of our first episode. But I guess the big thing to kind of talk about, and I, th I think just as a fun one, because I could we opened with our kind of comics origin stories. What are you reading at the moment? Like what's the, like, obviously a lot of stuff for the research, research, yeah. research for, <laughs> for the podcast, but... What have been your kind of other comic book calls? Because I feel like we want to make it about Ultimates, but also we want to, you know, as as you've heard, we've talked about a lot of different things and lots of yeah. different comics and lots of different sort of stuff. So I feel like, you know, we'd want to keep it kind of fun and kind of open in and have some kind of cool recommendations. Keep it fresh, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, like, honestly, uh, I have been reading some old Hellblazer I read Empathy is the Enemy, which I thought was interesting. Um, and uh, book four of Saga of the Swamp Thing. So that's the one with the kind of big crisis one. Did you read that? You read the no, whole of Saga? I've only, I think I've only read the first 
three. This, this is the Alan Moore Swamp thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I've only read the first two volumes. You sure? It's, I thought three was the one with oh. uh, John Constantine. Didn't you get up to Oh, no, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, three. Yeah, so three. I, got four, I got four. You can borrow that. Um, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's good. It's fantastic. So it's the mm. kind of culmination of everything up to that point. So yeah. it's... Um, uh, it's the it's Christ basically like a crisis level event and it's with Constantine and and um Etrigan and like all these different mm. kind of occult type characters which I think is it was interesting and I really enjoyed um and then there's uh what else have I been reading uh I guess uh just kind of singles yep. you know um Nightwing uh by Tom Taylor which I read recently how that was, was that, how's that going I feel like it's okay um it's fun. I don't mind it. I'll keep. I'll keep. I'll keep picking it up every mm. week, every couple of weeks. So um, it's it's okay. It's interesting. I don't think it's like very plot heavy. Yeah. But it's nice vibes. It's, it, so. From what I've kind of seen, it feels a bit more like a slice of life yeah, a kind bit. of comic as opposed to like the latest issue. Are interesting. They do something that's really interesting with him, and we're talking about combinations with artists mm. and, and writers. Him and I can't remember the artist's name. Yeah. For the life of me, but it, they worked together on Injustice previously, so I know of the person. But um, they've been doing interesting things. With this issue, was in the perspective of Nightwing, which mm. was good fun. So the whole thing was all it was like first, a first person, yeah, which was fun. And also talking about the X Men thing, kind of reminds me of when they did that whole issue with uh, Frank Quietly, where it was all um, on oh, a new X Men, where it's no that, dialogue. Yeah, what was that? F that was for a specific thing. So I think what the idea was... They is got that, a challenge, didn't they? Didn't they get challenged? Yeah, it was like a challenge. Every comic at, at Marvel at that time had to do an issue with no no dialogue. Mm. So I think it had to all be on... It was almost all entirely on the artist to kind of convey yeah. this issue. And... It's a really good issue, and I think that, and it it's has you know one. one one it breaks it breaks the the rule at the in the last page, and it's just fantastic. Yeah, it's good. Um, but the the thing that I and the other one they they also did one where um the artist uh, God we should we should bring that up, <laughs> but the where the whole thing is um um yeah so yeah so my what I'm reading at the moment um I'm just kind of reading there's a book I'm reading season the seasons have teeth. Um, it's a real cool little kind of horror comic from Boone Studios. It's only four issues. I've, I think the fourth issue is not coming out for another couple of weeks. But um, it's this kind of horror comic where each of the seasons, like the four seasons, is kind of characterized as this night giant monster that just kind of roams the earth. And there's this kind of photographer trying to get a photo of each of these kind of creatures. Um, yeah, so that's that's been the main one. The other one I've been reading is not so much a comic as it's like a kind of graphic novel. It's called The Electric State, and it's by this guy. I think it's a Swedish or Danish um, writer called Simon Stalenberg, I think, and he's does these really kind of weird. It's it's like more novel, but like with these kind of like massive kind of like beautifully drawn kind of artistic pages between each one, and. It's about this kind of weird alternate like 1998 where there's like some kind of like technological singularity and essentially there's people who are attached into like these kind of like virtual reality kind of headset sort of side of things. But I think the implication is, is that when so many people have joined, it's created this kind of God conscience and then it's this kind of 
young woman and this kind of robot venturing across the kind of um across California trying to get to I think the sea which is it's really really cool and I'm I'm it was kind of creepy as well but it, mm. I think they're doing a movie of it quite coming out soonish but it looks kind of cool um and then I think that's probably us for today I feel like so yeah. the next the next big episode is going to be um well next episode will be Ultimate Spider-Man, the first story arc of Ultimate Spider-Man. I'm really excited to see what your thoughts on that are, because I think, like you said, you're more on the kind of Miller, yeah, Miller kind definitely. of deconstructist side of things, and mm. I, I think this kind of issue of Ultimate Spider-Man has kind of sold me a little bit more on the kind of Bendis, Bendis side of things, and it'd be interesting to see, given the fact that this the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie came out around the same time. Or yeah, just, yeah, it did. just before, or just after. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I, I need to look that. I think it must. It must have been just after. Yeah. Wasn't it? I think it was slightly. It was 1999. Uh, two, I think it came out February, March 2000. Oh something. yeah, it would yeah. definitely be first then. Yeah. So I think that'll be interesting to see. Again, like have that kind of. It'd be another reference point, right? To look at that Spider-Man origin story. Obviously, how it looks originally, then how it looks as compared to yeah the the Raimi the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man film. So <laughs> that's going to be real fun. I'm looking forward to that. But and I guess also us uh, with people our age, like probably a lot of our audience, right? Well, the, my first touching point is the yeah. Raimi, Raimi films as well. Mine, mine was the Andrew, the Andrew Garfield, the, um, oh, the amazing Spider-Man ones. It's, it's always a controversial one. I think like, yeah, I, fair I enough. quite like, cool. So I, this has been Eddie um, and my co-host Henry, and this has been the ultimate podcast. Thank you all for coming and listening into our first episode. We'll see you next time. Peace.